Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is Ryan Cabrera, and I'm in studio today with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Shalom, everyone. Welcome. And today we're going to see <laughs> what we can do about studying the Torah portion with uh, Re'e, which means see in Hebrew. And you could find this Torah portion in the book of Deuteronomy, starting at chapter 11, verse 26, and ending in chapter 16, verse 17. All right, let's check it out here. Question number one in Deuteronomy eleven twenty-six, right out of the gate. What two things did God set before the people? Uh, blessing and curse. He That's said, right. So it's, a, it's an opportunity. This is a cool it's verse. A choice. So let's read it. Let's read it just Go real ahead. quick. It says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Number 27, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. Wow. And now we're going to do something geographically speaking here. In Deuteronomy eleven twenty nine, 29, what mountain held the curse? It was Mount Ebal. Now remember, Mount Ebal is where the curse was declared, but it is not cursed. Interesting little fact. Where is Joshua's altar today? Mount Ebal. It's on Mount Ebal, <laughs> on the side of Mount Ebal. There it is. And so that's interesting because Joshua was instructed to build this altar. We don't have time to get into all of that, but but I just want to remind everyone that this particular gentleman who discovered uh, Joshua's altar, after some other discoveries by other people or whatever, maybe people before him, but his name is Adam Zertel, and he is a Jewish uh, archaeologist, and he, of course, discovered it uh, after you know some other people had uh, come upon it earlier on. But the interesting thing is he came upon this in, in like in the spring of 1980, Joshua's altar. You know, it's interesting when you stop and look at the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement, uh, it really kicked off in the 80s. We had Jews for Jesus in the 70s, the Jesus movement in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, Jesus movement. But once again, just think about what God's doing right now. It's incredible what's really happening. And we know that Joshua um, was from the tribe of Ephraim and uh, Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. So once again, we just see a really interesting perspective there, uh, discovering of Joshua's altar. Uh, of course, uh, what mountain held the blessing in Deuteronomy eleven twenty nine? This is Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim. You know, I had the opportunity to take my two oldest sons, Josiah and Nehemiah, to the land of Israel on a trip. Uh, and of course, it was for the uh, feast day of Shavuot. And um, that means the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. So I actually fulfilled my bucket list. 2015, I was able to go to the land of Israel for Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, Tabernacles. The cool thing is I had both Josiah and Nehemiah up on top of Mount Gerizim. And as I placed my hands upon them, I could look over their shoulders down into the valley there, Shechem, which means on the shoulders of, which is the modern day Arab city of Nablus. And uh, thinking about that, there is a blessing that we say every Friday over our children, our boys. It is Yisimcha Elohim Kefrim Vichimanasa. May God make you a symbol of blessing, as He did Ephraim 
and Manasseh. As I blessed my two boys, I could see once again over their shoulders the tomb of Yosef, Joseph. And what an awesome experience that was. That was incredible. So once again, Joseph's tomb is found in Shechem, which is the modern city of Nablus. And the following year, in 2016, we pulled the bus over near Mount Gerizim, and Mike and I got out, and I blessed him uh, with the same blessing, Yesim Ka Elohim, Ke'efriim Vichy Manasseh. May God make you a similar blessing as did Ephraim and Manasseh. Wow, 3,500-year-old blessing prayer. Incredible. And I did that with Micah, and in the background were the vineyards. Uh, really, really incredible. So, once again, this is an incredible uh, Torah portion. Um, did the Lord have a special place where he would place his name? And the people could offer up their sacrifices in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. He did. He did. And that place is a very famous and contentious place in the world today. Yerushalayim. That's right. The city of Jerusalem. Very good. Yes. So he would place his name there. And that's pretty cool. Uh, no wonder there's so, so much activity going on in this holy city. Now, was Israel allowed to make sacrifices anywhere they wanted? In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 13 and 14? Uh, no, they were not. Only in the place where, where God had put his name. And of course, this leads us to the fact of, was Israel allowed to eat the blood of animals? Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 23 through 25. No, they were not. No. Why? The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. You know, just reflecting on, just just inspired to share that, you know, Yeshua shed his blood. You know, they, they scourged him. They beat his back. They, uh, they put a crown of thorns on his head, pierced his hands and his feet, put a spear in his side. I would say that he did shed his blood. He, he shed his blood. Uh, and I'm telling you, that is incredible. I mean, really and truly, the love that he has to, to go through that. We wonder, you know, uh, is sin really that bad? Come on, you know, I'm mean, a little white lie, you know, a little sin, a little fib. I mean, you know, okay, I didn't really give my best. You know, what, what does it really matter? Well, you know, uh, a man had to die because of sin. So if you would say to me, you know, sin isn't that bad, I'd say you might want to reflect on that. Uh, sin is so bad that a man had to die and suffer and be tortured and verbally assaulted, physically assaulted. I mean, think about it, especially in the culture in which we live now with sexual harassment and this and that and, and, you know, wrongful, you know, accusations or, you know, but, but then again, think about what Yeshua went through 2000 years ago, you know, the Me Too movement, all these things, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these things that are going on, Yeshua endured all this because no greater love than this than you lay down your life for your friends. I mean, that's just incredible. Everything's coming back full circle, everyone. I mean, really think about it. So let's reflect what Yeshua's perspective is, you know. And of course, we go into Deuteronomy 12:32, and Ryan's going to read that verse. That's a very powerful verse. It says, "What so th- uh, what thing da what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So basically, God's word, don't add to it, don't take away from and it. And he's referencing, you know, what I commanded you. So the commandments, don't add or diminish the commandments of God. And we know that uh, to some degree, we could see where, where, you know, when Yeshua came, you know, he was flipping tables over and real adamant against the Jewish leadership to the point of, you know, hey, you know, uh, you've built fences around the commandments and the people can't even get to the commandments and we create like this thing called, you know, man's commandments, which is basically legalism. But um, 
once again, I'm, I'm not saying we, we disrespect Judaism, but what I am saying is that uh, let's, let's take the scriptures literally. Let's just read it and let's do it and, and keep it at that. You know, um, even, even Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, I believe, don't argue over the Torah. But once again, we don't want to take God's commandments and add or take away from them. You know, it's kind of interesting, um, you know, to, to add to the Sabbath commandment, you know, to add to it would be, hey, I can make Sabbath whatever I want it to be. No, he declares when the Sabbath is. So that's just a little example to add to the commandments. You know, well, yeah, I believe in the Sabbath. You know, this week it's Wednesday. Next week it'll be Tuesday. Or my, my Sabbath is Saturday or just Saturday or Sunday. Or I kind of just try to like fit the Sabbath around my work schedule, you know? Yeah, like, but like if know, I'm off on Wednesday. We're not going to have none of that. No. And, and think about this now. This is where it's all leading up to something, you know? It's all building up to, because if we don't, you know, keep God's word, we're going to go astray. So now all of a sudden, if you go back to even these few little slides that we were looking at, there's where his name is. You can't just sacrifice anywhere, right? You can't eat the blood of animals, right? And then he says, don't add or or diminish from my commandments, okay? Because why? Because now we go into false prophets. That's right. Uh, Question number eight in Deuteronomy 13.1, were the people warned about false prophets and those who have dreams? Yes, they were. Once again, notice Deuteronomy 13. Which these are probably 13. the people that are adding and taking away from God's word, right? They're just ever it's, that. The way they trick the people is by they just twist it ever so slightly to get you in, and then they give you You know, if somebody prophesies something or thus saith the Lord, it doesn't come to pass, you're a false prophet. Boom. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, question number nine in Deuteronomy 13, too. Can the false prophet or dreamer do signs and wonders in order to lead the people astray? Yeah, many of them did. See? Once again... They can lead the people astray. Yeah, they have sorcery or witchcraft or whatever it is. They show some sign or wonder from you know, from uh, from the enemy, and then the people you know, are, are deceived. There's words of knowledge, and there's words from the f- familiar spirit. Right. Deuteronomy thirteen three. Would God allow the false prophet or dreamer to be in the congregation to test his people? Yes, he would. Oh, I can testify to that. Ooh. We've had our we've had our uh, opportunities on that one. But yeah, once again, would God allow the false prophet or dreamer? To be in the congregation to test his people, the answer is yes, to test, to test us. You know, we're all being tested. Uh, moving on to Deuteronomy 13.5. Let's go ahead and read that verse. It's all right. So Deuteronomy 13.5 says, And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn away from the Lord your God. Wow. Suffer not that false prophet to live, right? That's right. To turn away from God. Yeah. So whatever's turning us away from God, we have to get rid of. We've got to get this rock pile out and just start nailing it. Think about it. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's the that's the death penalty. That's right. That's pretty 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 strict, if you ask me. You know, uh, question number twelve in Deuteronomy thirteen six. Did God warn the people not to be enticed by close relatives who could lead them astray? Oh yeah. No, this is this is where it get it starts to hit home. It's like you know when you have people around you and they start uh, you know trying to lead you in a different direction than to follow God. And those people are now, you know, they've got a, a, a target on their back. Some people are going in the wrong direction. Some people don't even know what direction they're going. Right. And, I and, mean, and hopefully they say it to you by yourself because that way there's not two or three witnesses, but if they say it to multiple people, then it is upon those people to then, you know, to carry you know, out the sentence. It, it's interesting, you know, uh, my family didn't give me Jesus. Jesus gave me Jesus. That's right. It's between me and him, you know, and it talks about the enemies will be, they have your own house 
It's because you choose, you know, it, it says, you know, if you love, you know, mother, father, brother, sister more than me, you're not worthy of me. He's not saying to not love people. He's not saying to dishonor your mom and dad, your, your father and mother. But what he's saying is that, you know, you, you better love me, uh, you know, because he's already proven his love for us. So we better, we better love him. And so what was the punishment for the close relative who would try to lead God's people astray? Uh, Deuteronomy 13, 10. Uh, they would be stoned to death. That was it. And now here's the very interesting thing. You better, you better have your, uh, your facts straight, because in Deuteronomy 13, verses 8 through 10, who had to throw the first stone at a close relative who attempted to lead another astray from God? It would be another relative, and and that was one—not a friend or neighbor, but another relative. Right. Well, and, and in the in this this judicial system, the ones that threw that first stone, quote unquote, were the ones that witnessed the act. So the witnesses, right. it was upon them to actually carry out the punishment. This is interesting. I mean, because it's never been recorded that this actually took place. But once again, we are looking at the commandments of God, and so we're having two classes of people now. Ryan, number one, we have. The lay people, just basic people, your, your friends, your whatever, um, associates, you know, people in your congregation. But now he, he talks about, of course, the, the relatives, your kin, your, your kin. And so last but not least, the, the third part of this uh, in dealing with false prophets and everything is, did God command his people to destroy whole cities if the inhabitants tried to get the people to serve other gods? Deuteronomy 13, verses 13 through 15. He did. That's exactly so once again, you've got the lay people, you've got the, the friends, people in your congregation. That's one group. You have your relatives as the second group that make up a society. Last but not least, the cities. So what was done with all of the spoil of the city in Deuteronomy 13, 16? They burned it with fire. They burned it with fire. Yes. They burned it with fire. That, that's, that's, that's just totally taken up, gone. They burned it with fire. Wow, that is pretty, that's pretty, that's a stiff penalty right there. Um, moving on now, think about it. Question number 17, Deuteronomy 14.1. Did the Lord forbid his people to cut themselves? He did, he did. No, no cutting. Is that what the prophets of Baal were doing when Elijah was challenging them? And that's correct. They were and, calling on Baal and, and cutting themselves and... You know, you wonder, why are people cutting themselves? Because they have another spirit. Right. Well, and you'll find that young people, you know, that's a, a, a popular thing for, for young people to do in the if they're goth or they get into Wicca or something like that. They'll dabble in things, and then you'll notice that they start to cut themselves, you know. And uh, it is. It's absolutely a spirit. It's just like when Yeshua had to cast out that spirit from that young man that was being, you know, thrashed about in a fire and water to drowning, to burning, to, to killing a spirit of murder, you know, this whole, this familiar spirit was uh, torturing this young man. And I love what Yeshua said, this can only come out through what? Prayer and fasting. The disciples couldn't cast him out. And I believe that what we're going to be doing this weekend in regards to the Daniel fast is going to help us to see the young people, the next generation delivered and set free to loose the bonds or the bands of wickedness. Amen. Amen. This can only come out through prayer and fasting. So that's interesting. Um, now we're going to get into the dietary laws. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 3 through 6. Did God tell his people to eat only clean meats? He did. 
And you can find the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 47. Once again, uh, we follow the dietary laws of Beit Tehila. We believe in clean meats and unclean meats. And so we're going to discuss this in a little more detail. Uh, it's quite simple, everyone. I've been doing this since, I think, what, 1995, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, been keeping the dietary laws, and it's not that hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, God tells you what to eat That's right. and what not to eat. It's just that simple. The Son of God is not going to come along and say, oh, well, you can eat that now. Mm. You know, and so once again... In the book of Leviticus, if the dietary laws are in Leviticus chapter 11, let's look at this. The book of Leviticus is broken up into two parts. Chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. Chapters 18 to 27 is the walk with God. You just had to throw in some Leviticus stuff. In I there, love huh? Leviticus. The dietary laws are found Listen, we're in Deuteronomy. In Leviticus. Keep your Leviticus out of Leviticus. my Deuteronomy. So uh, I was having a conversation with uh, some folks that will not be named about ducks the other day, about the kosherness of ducks and whatnot. And I did some, some rabbinical research and whatnot, and I found that there's actually some back-and-forth rabbinical commentary about the Muscovy duck. So I would encourage people to look up them. I don't even know what a Muscovy duck was, nor if I ever decided to eat one. You I know, did find that domestic ducks were all considered kosher. I did domestic ducks are kosher. Listen, let's just get all of our ducks in a row. <laughs> all right, we're moving now. Listen, question number 19, Deuteronomy 14.6. How did the children of Israel determine whether an animal was clean? All right, so here it goes. Uh, animals that would roam on the ground, it was uh, parteth the hoof and chewed the cud. So the hooves had to be split hooves. And they had to chew the cud. So, for example, you can't eat horse because it doesn't have a split hoof. And you can't eat pig. Although it has a split hoof, it doesn't chew the cud. We're going to get to that question. Whatever. But I appreciate the information about the horse. The horse doesn't have a split hoof. It does not. You know. So get out your horseshoes. Deuteronomy (laughs) 14.7. All right, here we Deuteronomy go. Deuteronomy 14.7, what does it say? <laughs> All right, nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. So once again, you can't have a camel burger, okay? You can't eat camel. You can ride them, but you can't eat them. Hmm. Okay, and of course we move on to Deuteronomy fourteen eight. Why couldn't the children of Israel eat swine? Because it divides the hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud. Right. Interesting example. Remember, Yeshua cast out the evil spirits into the swine, and then of course they committed suicide. They committed suicide. <laughs> Just remember, deviled ham is still ham. That's right. So. You know, very interesting. And uh, you can do your own scientific study on this as well of, you know, food and nutrition. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting, even uh, to the point of, you know, it's not even considered food. It's unclean. You can't eat that. It's not really an option. So um, very interesting in the culture in which we live. Question number 22. What are the two requirements needed to eat something out of the water? Deuteronomy 14.9. It must have both of these two conditions met. It must have fins and scales. Fins Fins and scales. scales, Okay, so let's just think of some fish that has fins and scales. I didn't write down any examples, but you can have grouper. Uh, You can have tilapia, Hmm. red snapper, flounder. Okay. Are you sure about tilapia? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Fins okay. and scales, yeah. Right. So so anyway, think about it. You know what's funny is when you go to a restaurant and you're not really sure about the fish, 
you got to be careful because the waiters and waitresses don't know what the heck you're talking about. They just no. don't know. Yeah. Uh, Even does here this in Florida. fish have fins and scales? They're like, oh, let me go ask the chef. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. No, it came and in as a fillet. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> swimming in the ocean. You're good. No, does it have fins and scales? <laughs> you know. So like I catfish, mean, no scales. Very good. But it does have fins. That's right. Right? Shark, no scales, but it does have fins. Very good. Very good, Ryan. Very good student. Let's see how... We have here uh, some examples of uh, unclean animals to, to eat. Uh, a camel's unclean, a hare, a swine, eagle, hawk, or a bat. Okay? Can't have a bat burger. Just not going to, it's not going to work. It's, un, it's considered unclean and forbidden to eat by God. Now, you can have ox, sheep, okay? Buffalo burgers. Goat. Goat lamb you know so just think about it remember if god said don't eat it don't eat it you know what i mean mm. just don't eat it you know and weird al yankovic came out with a parody song instead of beat it he said just eat it Ooh. i say no no and you know what if you'll eat anything you'll listen to anything so we're going to be moving on from the dietary laws amen and we don't force this on anybody by the way this is a choice that you have to make uh, on your own, and it's very successful. How about tithing? Uh, question number 24. What was to be tithed by God's people? Uh, Deuteronomy 14.22. Uh, just to be clear, this is Old Testament, and that was done away with. I just want to make sure that we know What's that the answer before. to that? It is all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. All the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Once in an agricultural calendar agricultural society tithing is a principle people tithing is a principle abraham tithe jacob tithe it is a principle so if the distance was too long to bring the fruit of the land what could the children of israel bring instead deuteronomy 14 25 they could bring the equivalent money you could bring money right and so now i mean nowadays right so let's say for example you made an investment in something and then you got a return because it is on the increase, the tithe would be on the amount that you received an increase from that investment. Very good. I mean, talking about the commerce, uh, moving into the Levites, who was not to be forsaken within the gates, Deuteronomy 14.27. Was it the Levites? It was. <laughs> they are not to be forsaken within the gates. You know, it's interesting. You know, the Levites, uh, their inheritance was the Lord. Uh, but they were taken care of, you know, and you think about ministry today, full-time ministry, you know, take care of the priesthood, you know, that's the way it should be, you know, and, uh, and so once again, uh, here's the principle, they are not to be forsaken, and they're the ones to teach the Torah, and you bring your offerings to, and it's interesting, if you look at the Torah, the principle is that when you have a problem, you go to clergy, see, and now we go to other things, the pills, the, you know, the alcohol, psychiatrist, whatever we do. But, but when you have a problem, you know, usually, you know, uh, back then you would go to the Levite, you would go to them and, and they would just look you over and everything. Same thing with, uh, in, in dealing with leprosy as well, or skin conditions. They were like the first dermatologists. If you had like a skin affliction, they want to say, oh, you know, that's not leprosy, but they'll put you out of the camp to your heel or whatever. But just an interesting, interesting, uh, uh, job title there, the Levites. Um, of course, now we're going to go into the sabbatic year. What took place every seven years in Deuteronomy 15.1? The release of the prisoners. Yes, a sabbatic year. You have a release every seven years. 
Correct. Well, it was released um, from debt. It was released from prison. And we'll look at Deuteronomy 15.6 as well in regards to the sabbatic year. Yep. Let's read that verse. It says, For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. Remember, get out of debt. You know, we talked about this last night at the Torah study, but, you know, debt is a sin. And I know we have mortgages and car payments and everything, but the goal is to get out of debt. Uh, Debt is a sin. And we're not to be in debt. And so once again, uh, it's just something to think about. Also, you know, you are not to uh, uh, charge interest on your brother, you know, and so... Credit cards would have a hard time with that. They would. They sure would. So question number 29, were the children of Israel to help their brethren if they were poor? Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 and 8. Yes, of course. Benevolence, helping helping each other out. You know, I remember one time I was, I was in real need and somebody didn't help me and I made it through, but they came to me later and uh, they, uh, they wanted some help. And I didn't give it to them because I wasn't redeemed. I was like, you know what? You didn't help me out. I'm not going to help you out. I reflect That's back on that. That's a great story. I'm so glad you're telling I, it. I reflect back on that. That was BC before Christ. But I'll never forget it because I remembered one day he's going to need my help. And you know what? I got that phone call. I said, hey, you didn't help me. I'm not helping you. Click. But once again, that's not the oh, way man, we Oh, man, that feels really now. good in your flesh, though, doesn't that, it? Yeah, but it was wrong. <laughs> but you know what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But it's wrong. That's it just wrong. really is. You you're know, right. Hey, if you do wrong to me, I'm going to wrong you back now. You know, the connotation, if you look at the root word for, for, for evil, if you really get to its root meaning, it means nothing. You know, in God's kingdom, when he gets back and straightens everything, there's not going to be no evil. Evil won't exist because why? It's nothing. It, doesn't, it can't exist in his kingdom. It can't exist around him. But, you know, here we go. We're, we're living in a society that's evil. Uh, I like this question number 30 in Deuteronomy 15, 11. Did the Lord say there would always be poor people in the land? He did. Wow. Now, I'm going to have Ryan flip over to the New Testament, Matthew 26, 11. So here's Yeshua quoting this, uh, whether he is quoting it on purpose or not, is irregardless. But he said, the poor you will always have in the land. And once again, we talk about three classes of people in the sacrificial system. You've got the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class, okay? And how do we just, how do we know this distinction? Because, well, if you're rich, you can do a bull. Middle class could do a lamb. The poor can do a bird. You know, birds. Mm. So once again, God is not a socialist. Now you said Matthew is what is that in the New Testament? Yes, Matthew twenty six eleven. Once again, did the Lord say there would always be poor people in the land? He did actually. It's a cool little thing. So he's, it says here, when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. And so that's that's an interesting point that he's making, especially since he's quoting Deuteronomy fifteen eleven when he's doing it and saying the poor will always be with you. Like, I know that in Christian circles, that's like this new concept that Jesus came up with, but it was a new concept when Jesus came up with it when he wrote the Torah, right? Right. And the poor are always an opportunity for us that have something to bless them and give it to them. Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy fifteen twelve as we move forward here. Let's read Deuteronomy fifteen twelve. All right, fifteen twelve. And if thy brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. Once again, here's an agreement. Seventh year, you're going to go free. Could a Hebrew become a servant to another Hebrew forever? Deuteronomy 15, 17. They could. They could in, under special circumstances where when they want to leave, but they have a, a wife left behind and they want to stay, they could do so. That's the arrangements that you make. It's like a, uh, 
it's like a, a company or a corporation. You think about it, you want to stay. Now, look at this. Deuteronomy 15, 17. What would be done to the Hebrew servant to signify he would serve them forever? They would take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door. Oh. Wow, there's a there's an interesting process or procedure. Take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door. I wonder door. if that's one of those ones that we just don't quite understand because we just didn't live back then. Well, I mean, you know, it's definitely something that uh, would send a message. It's like a mark. Yeah, no, no doubt. No, you can't renege. You were marked, why? With an awl through your ear. So let's say you go astray or so they're going to be like, oh, you're supposed to be with somebody else. Who's your original master? Right. Kind of like a marking. You know, yeah. we're marked. We're marked yeah. by God. Uh, what was sanctified unto the Lord in Deuteronomy fifteen nineteen? All the firstling males that come from your herd or flock. The firstling males that come from your herd or flock. That's right. Now we're going to be moving into the three national feasts. What three feasts are discussed in chapter 16? Deuteronomy 16, 1, 10, and 13. Uh, this is going to be the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Awesome. Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So, so moving on here, so we're going to talk about these three national feasts towards the end here, but how long are the children of Israel commanded to not eat any leaven? Uh, seven days. Deuteronomy 16, 3. Seven days. Once again, this is during the time of Pesach and then unleavened bread. Seven days, you are commanded to not eat any leaven. Why? Because it's a picture of, you know, being born again at Pesach or Passover. Then we have seven days to get the leaven out. And that's a process. It's not just a one day of unleavened bread. It's seven days. And seven, of course, is completion. So how many weeks are there between Passover and the Feast of Weeks in Deuteronomy 16.9? Seven weeks. Boy, we are into the sevens, Ryan. I was married on 7707. Oh, that is awesome. What a great example. Just I have saying. more here. Uh, how many days are celebrated for the Feast of Tabernacles? Deuteronomy 16.13. The sevens have it. The sevens have it. Think about this. This word is used 735 times. 54 times in the book of Revelation. Wow. Those are both multiples of seven, I think. times in the book of Revelation 7. There are seven churches in Revelation. Seven means completion. It also means perfection. Wow. Perfection. Once again, we have seven days in a week. We have the walls of Jericho came down on the seventh day after marching around the city seven times. We have, of course, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times and was healed of leprosy. And let's not forget, you have Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Just wanted to throw that in for some of you. Uh, Snow White had seven dwarfs. So last but not least, everyone, here is the finale. I love it. What three times during the year were all males to appear before the Lord in the place he would choose? Deuteronomy 16, 16. All right. So it was uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is where we get the three national feasts, everyone. You can also find this in Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 16. So in conclusion here, I want to remind everyone of the times in which we live. God declares the end from the beginning. So here we go. We look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's Pesach. It's the Feast of Passover, right? Can we all say that the children of Israel... Right, applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost and were saved. 
Yes. yes. Yeah. Were they saved? Of course. Yes, they were saved. And can we also can we also say that when we receive the Lord and we're born again, that's our Passover. Absolutely. We recognize him, Yeshua, as the Lamb of God. Amen. That's right. So can we say that this has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled? Absolutely. People are being born again all the time. You know, we all come to the Lord in, in different times and seasons, but but here we are. So that's one third of the redemptive plan of God, Ryan, in the, in the three national feast days. And of course, three is divine, it's of the Lord. Now we move into number two, the Feast of Weeks, which is of course Shavuot or Pentecost. Can we all agree that in Exodus 19, God married the children of Israel at the Feast of Shavuot? Oh, I agree. I agree. It says with that. right there, yep. in the third month. So we can agree to that. Well, guess what? In Acts 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled on what feast day? Um, give me a second. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Was it the Feast of Weeks? Yes, Ryan. It is the Feast also of Weeks. Also known as Pentecost? Shavuot. Come on now. So let me ask you guys something. Is the Holy Spirit moving in the earth today? Oh, he is definitely. Absolutely. Sure. At every level. Are there other spirits? Yes, there's only one Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit's moving everyone. So you've already agreed to one third of God's redemptive plan. Would you say that the Torah was given and then God is pouring out his spirit today? Oh, absolutely. So it has been fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. That's right. So Ryan, what we're looking at right now is the complexity of herding cats. So what you're saying is we're two thirds of the way there? We, we are two thirds of the way there. But listen to this. Now that we're at two-thirds, 2,000 years have passed. We are moving towards the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called the Feast of Engathering. So I want to encourage all of you, as you are praying and seeking the Lord, do it His way. We are being gathered unto the Lord His way, not our way. Don't be selfish, self-centered. Open up your heart. Open up your life to the Lord and to the possibility of how He's truly gathering in the last days. And I believe the reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles is part of this regathering, Ryan. I believe without a doubt that we should extend a hand to the Jewish people and love them and respect them and respect Judaism and love Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And as Christians, as believers, we need to extend a hand to the Jewish people. We Amen. need to do this, Ryan. So once again, think about it, everybody. We are on borrowed time. We are on borrowed time and we are so close to the finale, you don't even realize. We are closer than you think. So just consider it. Think about it. Why aren't you being gathered? Why aren't you with a group of people? Why are you accountable? Think about it. Right before the Olivet Discourse, before Jesus was, was crucified and everything, in Matthew 23, he says, How I long to gather you, but you would not. Mm. Think about it, everyone. I want to be gathered. Ryan wants to be gathered. Oh, I want to be gathered. Oh, we want to be gathered. Because it is a pate. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Re'e, uh, the Torah portion, which is uh, C. And a lot of good stuff in there, man. That's a, a big synopsis of a lot of the, the big uh, commandments that God has given to us, the blessings and the cursings at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, uh, the dietary commandments, the national feast days. Man, there was a ton in there. So uh, I encourage you guys to go back and read this Torah portion for yourself if you haven't already. And then if you have questions or you need anything, you can email me at ryan at topraise.net, ryan at topraise.net, or you can reach out to us via the phone at 813-654-2222. And uh, you can also go online 
uh, and contact us through our website at topraise.net in the contact us tab. One last thought, Ryan, as we close. Teshiva begins this Saturday night at Lul 1 to That's Tishri right. 10. That's right. Okay, just remember that. From Elul 1 to Tishri 10. From, from this Saturday night at midnight until Tishri 10, the Day of Atonement, the conclusion of the Day of Atonement, we are in Teshiva. I want to encourage you all to return back to the Lord and to repent. That's right. And us here at Beit Tehillah as a congregation are doing a Daniel fast. If you uh, are local here, we encourage you to do it with us. Even if you're not local and you are somewhere else, uh, you know, if you want some resources about the Daniel Fast or information about it or how to do it, you know, reasons why we do it, stuff like that, please contact us. Uh, again, you can email me at ryan at topraise.net and I'll get anything that you need over to you. Uh, and then also you can watch online this Saturday as you can every Saturday at 11 o'clock at topraise.net. Just click on the Watch Us Live tab. Love you guys. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Okay.